Good morning. Welcome to Willow Park Church. My name is Pastor Phil and um, I have the pleasure of being the lead pastor of Willow Park Church. If you're new to us, please do introduce yourself. Uh, pastor Tanya, Pastor Steve will also be around. We'd love to get to know you. I have to um, step out to go and preach at the South Community this morning. So I'm not running out on you. Uh, just so you know, if you're new, that I'm um, uh, supporting our other campuses in the this way. This morning, our Abbey campus are having a special meal after their gathering, and uh, Creekside there uh, uh, enjoying as they gather together in Lake Country. So it's really exciting. We've been thinking about uh, the book of Philippians, and we've been working our way and starting with Glenn's sermon last week to explore the subject of joy from the book of Philippians. And I have the privilege of teaching the verses in Philippians chapter 1, really uh, from 3 to 11. But what we're going to do is probably uh, really push down on verses 9, 10, and 11, where Paul prays. And what we learn from these verses, what we understand is that, that Paul is rejoicing and thanking God every time he remembers them. Look at verse 3. Every time he remembers them, he can't help but thank God for these people. There's a sense of generosity. There's a heartfelt enthusiasm. You know, you, you connect a lot with Paul and he's thanking them. Why? Well, because of their partnership in the gospel. Because of their willingness to, to give towards the promotion of the gospel and all that is taking place. We must understand that there is joy in partnership, in working together and believing that God will change our world through the power of the gospel. Partnership is really important. Partnership is that, that connection where we know that we're together and he's rejoicing about their partnership. He's rejoicing about what God is doing. You can feel the apostles' passion and excitement coming through as you look at this. You, you get that deep sense of that. He, he talks about, I pray for you, and when I pray for you, I pray for you with utter joy. I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed in verse 4 here. I, I pray for you with joy, with enthusiasm. And you know what we're learning about the apostle as we look at this? We are learning that actually he is a passionate man. Passion is good. And sometimes we forget that our faith should produce a passion and a commitment that is deep and is alive and is, is there. He's, he's passionate. And sometimes we don't think of the apostle as a passionate man. But you know, when you look at... Um, but Paul was uh, profoundly passionate about his mission, about the calling, and about the desire that God wanted to do. And, and we know that. I mean, when we look at Acts chapter 20, verse 31, he's there on the beach, and he's talking, and he's weeping, and he's crying. And later on, in, in verses what, 36 to 38, he's 
He's there with the uh, leaders and the elders from Ephesus. And, and, and he's there stood in a kind of puddle of tears. And he's crying and he's, he's weeping and he's passionate about his church. He's passionate about what God is doing. He's passionate about the fact that he's not going to see them again face to face until the coming of the, the day. And, and you feel this, this, this passionate that is in his life. See, what we mustn't do is lose a passion for Christ. But there's always this tension between passion and knowledge. There's this tension where we understand that, that yes, Paul was a deeply passionate man, but there is, there is, there is knowledge as well. And in this prayer, we, sit, we pick up words like knowledge. We pick up words like discernment. We pick up these wonderful words. And, and I, I know we walk that journey. I'm, I'm naturally a very passionate, outgoing person. That's my personality. I don't know if you've noticed. Uh, but, but I am. I'm passionate. I've been passionate ever since I, I found Christ because I was so lost. I was so much in darkness and the gospel came into my life and gave me purpose, gave me a relationship with God, gave me the greatest gift that any human being can have, a personal relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I was passionate. I understand Paul's heart. He had religion, but now he's got relationship. But of course, knowledge is important. And we have to blend the two together in knowledge. I mean, you have that battle. When you look in Revelation and, and we see the church of Ephesus where the Lord walked amongst the church, he spoke to them and he rebuked them. Why? Because they had all knowledge, but they had lost their first love. And there is something profoundly dangerous about us having all knowledge without passion. We've got to have knowledge and we must never lose our first love in Revelation chapter 2. He he, he talks about that and we understand that in in his journey. And there's this this sense. what What is Paul really trying to communicate through this prayer? When we look at verse 9, it says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What Paul is passionate about in his prayer life for this church is that they may become more and more like Christ. That is the goal of this prayer. He wants Christ-likeness. He wants them to grow. He wants them to understand this. And this is often a word that we don't talk about a lot. It's a word called sanctification. And sanctification is that process that Christ takes us through so that we grow in spiritual growth and we become more like Christ in our character, in the way that we are. And and often this process of sanctification is not not always easy. It's tough. 
You go through times of difficulty. It's hard. And the hardest times I've walked through in my own life have been a process of sanctification where I've allowed the trial and the difficulty to, to mold me. Let me explain it another way. Scripture uses a lot of illustration about the heart. And as Scripture talks about the heart, it talks about how he wants us to be pure like gold. And so that there is a, a sense deep within us that, that we are purified. And of course, it talks about this. And the interesting thing about gold is, gold is pure. But in the process of making gold, you have to heat it up. You have to mix flux with it. And as it boils and heats up, all of the dross, all of the garbage, all of the minerals that are, are, are not part of gold, like iron and zinc and lead, they, they, they all come to the surfaces. You see, What happens when there's foreign bodies in gold, gold, instead of being pure and pliable, becomes hard and brittle. And the more, let's say, little bits of iron ore you have in there, or zinc in there, it makes it more and more brittle. And what the Lord wants to do in our lives, he wants to remove the brittleness of sin, and he wants to make us pure and sanctified to become more like Christ in our walk. So in the sun, I've got a little picture here of this. The heat and, and, and the process that is needed. That as we get rid of the brittleness and we get rid of the garbage, this is called sanctification. This is why we do encounter God. Because it gives you an opportunity to get rid of those foreign bodies in our life called sin that affect Our growth affect our joy, affect our sanctification, affect our change that we become more and more like Christ in his likeness. So when you look at verse 9, you realize that although he's he's talking really, in my first point is this, he's talking about a partnership that is built out of love. His passionate prayer here is that he's talking about a partnership that flows out of love. And this is my prayer, that you love, your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight. I love these words. He really wants Christians in our Christian walk that we would abound in love and knowledge. The very phrase abound speaks of Movement. It speaks of action because love is full of action. It's full of movement. It's full of excitement. It is something that is moving forward. If he was to talk, and I pray that your love would be static and hard and inflexible and never changing, that would be weird. Because love needs to be exciting, doesn't it? Love needs to be ecstatic. I love my wife. She was here last night. And, and all the children. And, and I love my life, wife. And when I first got to know her and I uh, met her, I wasn't like static. I, I saw her across a crowded room. And what did I do? I bounded over. <laughs> Not quite like that. But I didn't stand there, and there she was, rolling her eyes at me. And I was picking them up and throwing them back. And as I looked at her, 
It wasn't static. I didn't stand there and go, oh, there's a girl that I really love. Let me just be cool. See, Paul doesn't want us to be knowledgeable and cool. He wants us to be full of God's love, abounding in God's love. He wants us to have knowledge and he wants us to have insight. He wants us to be people. You see, the love that Paul is praying about is not a mushy kind of hippie kind of love. It is solid. It is strong. It has insight. It is full of knowledge and it is moving and it is full of action. And that's the kind of church he is praying that the Philippians will be, that God will bless them and they will abound in partnership and love for one another. That's the kind of love. But there's a danger that where the Lord wants us to be a people of love, that sin can trap us. Sin can grab us. That through the deceitfulness of our hearts, that we can become. Let me explain it this way. There's a verse, I haven't got it on the notes, because a sermon is a labor of love and prayer. And and I have to get my notes into the media department by 12 noon on Friday. And sometimes God doesn't always oblige me. Um, But Luke chapter 17 is really interesting. Because it talks about sin, faith, and duty. But Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. Things that cause people to stumble. Actually, when you look at that, that construct of that sentence, and of course it talks about a millstone, and it talks about being thrown uh, around the neck, and, and the little ones cause them to stumble, it is in the context of, of the power of sin, and, and the power of sin that can have work within our lives. But the actual word cause them to stumble in the Greek has a picture of a trap and a bait. And I had to ask myself the question, when Paul's praying for love, he's praying for abounding love, he's praying for partnership, what is the sin that can cause a community to really stumble? Actually, the Greek word there in in Luke chapter 17, one in the sentence, has this powerful image behind it, of the part of a trap where you put the bait and it catches you. What he's actually saying here is be careful because there are things that catch us. There are things that bait us and they draw us in and then we find that we're trapped in this. So what would oppose this prayer? Well, I think very simply what would oppose us and bait us It's something like a fence. Because when we are offended, we're taking hold of the bait of sin and death and Satan. Let me explain it this way. I have a little, I've got very used to these. These are are Victor original mousetraps. Do you ever see these? I live on the edge of the orchard, so I have an ongoing battle with little critters, which I win generally. Because I've become so skilled at baiting my trap. You see, 
What you have to do is you get this from Cooper's, which is no longer Cooper's. It's called Savon. They've had a conversion. <laughs> but what you're supposed to do, and this is the exact picture about the danger of how sin can entice us. I, I prepare my traps perfectly. I use a little bit of brie cheese. It works well, but you must heat it up. And then you mix it with peanut butter. Honestly. Junkus also taught me this from the South. And you mix it. And then what you do, you bait the trap. And this has been done for thousands of, year, thousands of years. And there you are. And I'm so skilled that I can set this trap like that. Look at that. See? And it sits there. And what, what, what the danger with offense that stops love abounding is that offense can be there. And if we take the bait, it can trap us in anger, frustration, resentment, and pain. See, I'm skilled and I could probably, yeah, get the bait off here because I think I'm pretty clever. Because all you guys, like, touch it. I don't have to. Oh. um. Ouch. That's what offense does to your life. That's what sin does to your life. That hurt. Oh. Sin is the bait of the enemy that wants to trap us and stop us abounding in love, partnership, and grace for each other. And when he talks here about love, and he talks about God's God's grace and knowledge, what we understand is, is that he's saying, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge, depth, and insight. When it's hard to love somebody, what he's actually saying is you can, your love can be informed by knowledge and insight. So God can show you how to love that person more. God can show you how to care for that person. God can give you knowledge and insight. And there's a powerful connection between the way we love people and the knowledge that we have. And he's saying, the question we have is that you have all the knowledge in the word of God. And all that knowledge is present. And all that knowledge is there. And you can have the insight with love and knowledge. It is a powerful force. And let me give you a bit of advice. If you are struggling with loving somebody in your life, somebody in your family, somebody uh, that you work with, situations that you face, and you're in danger of falling into the trap of a fence that will drag you down, I promise you, if you approach it with the heart of love and ask God for the knowledge, he will give you the insight and the discernment about how to approach that problem and difficulty because God loves people who loves people, loves us. He'll give you that insight. He'll show you the way of how to, how to do that. And you see, what happens is, is that knowledge without love is disastrous. 
because knowledge puffs up. But when we start to live in a way that is anti-love and, say, live in offense, what we understand is that it becomes all about us. It becomes about ourself. It becomes about who we are. It becomes about our journey. And I want to encourage you something that often we can be baited by the enemy to be offended at an issue and that actually destroys any sense of this prayer and actually the person that it robs is the person who is offended. And I want to remind you that that nobody can take away God's purposes, God's plan, God's future for you, God's destiny, God's goodness for your life. No person, no employer, no church, no nobody who's handled you badly where it's hurt and you've become offended can take away God's plan for your life except one person. You. You see, if you take hold of the offense and allow the offense to fester in your heart, you and I are in danger of being robbed of what God has for us. Because what we're actually saying is, I'm so offended that I'm not going to do this. I'm so offended that I'm not going to engage. I'm so offended that I'm not going to love. I'm not going to have prayer. I'm not going to have joy. I'm so offended by this, that I'm not going to participate. I'm so offended in this area that the bait of Satan has grabbed me, trapped me, and has hurt me so much. Here, I'm trapped, I'm offended. And then what happens? We become static in our love. And we lose that. You see... If it's a partnership of love, what is the purpose of this prayer? Well, the purpose of this prayer is pretty clear in verses 10 here. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You may grow in Christ's likeness. You may grow for the day of Christ. That I, I'm, I, I'm going to live with knowledge. I'm going to live with discernment. I'm going to live with love. I'm not going to live with frustration. I'm not going to live with hatred. I'm not going to live with anger. I'm going to live the way that this prayer describes. Because let me tell you, every offended person I have ever met who has taken the bait of Satan, every offended person I have met have been robbed of one thing. And the thing that they've been robbed of is joy in their life. Isn't that true? That when you're offended, you lose the joy. When you lose the love, you lose the joy. When you lose the knowledge, you lose the joy. When you lose the discernment, you lose the joy. So he wants us to become more like Christ. Let's think about a character for a moment who had every right to be so full of offense, so full of pain, so full of anger that he had the right to wipe his whole family out. I think you probably know who I'm talking about. Joseph. Think about Joseph. 
Let me tell you the story quickly if you don't know the story of Joseph. Joseph was the younger son there in the family with Jacob, with his many brothers. And of course, his brothers, he irritated. Siblings irritate each other, don't they? But this was, just come to my house. The younger siblings have the gift of irritation to the older ones. And so they took the sibling and they, they, they were so sick of him and his dreams and his coat and his father's love and his, his bold outgoing ways that they took him and they threw him in a well and then they sold him into slavery. He had the right to become a person of offense. He ended up in slavery and ended up in Egypt. And he worked as a slave now, not as a son of a house, but he worked as a slave. And in that place as a slave, he worked for Potiphar. And there, after a while, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him again and again, tried to have sex with him. But he resisted because he had a pure heart. Until finally, she made one attempt... He ran off, and then she was so mad that she accused him of rape, and he was thrown into prison. He had every reason to be full of, full of pain. He had every reason to be full of offense. And now he's in prison. He makes friends with a cupbearer and a baker, and they have a dream, and he interprets the dream. I find this really interesting, that in the middle of his prison, in the middle of his pain, he had an intimacy with God the Father that enabled him to hear heaven for that situation. That's the way offense should be managed. That you are maybe in a prison. You may be, I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask to go from slavery to prison, from my father's house to the well, from the well into the, the slavery, into prison. And then he says to his friend when his cupbearer is let out, remember me. And his friend forgets him. Another reason to be offended. <sighs> Family are no good. Employers are lousy. Employers' wives are even worse. (laughs) Prison life isn't that good either because you make good cellmate friends. They leave and they leave you rotted in prison. They forget about you. I mean, he's got every reason. Until finally the Pharaoh has a dream and nobody can interpret the dream. But there's one man in the middle of his pain. There's one person in the middle of his harsh journey that still connects with the living God. His name is Joseph. He's brought into the courts of Pharaoh. God gives him the interpretation of the dream. And then he begins to rise to become the prime minister of Egypt. What would have happened to Joseph if he'd given in to the baited trap of offense, anger, bitterness? He would have lost his joy. He would have lost so much. And there he is before his sons, his brothers, his father. He is that his father still lives. And he stands before them at this moment. He could take them one by one and execute them. He was an Egyptian ruler. He could have taken Judah, put Judah on the floor, made him kneel down, took a large sword, as was the Egyptian habit, and be able to swing that ancient sword in such a way that would have just killed him in a moment. 
Judah would have fallen to the floor dead and Joseph would have got his revenge because he had every right to be offended at the way they treated him. But from the line of Judah, from the line of Judah, there would be a baby born in Bethlehem. From the line of Judah, there would be a baby born who we would call the Lion of the tribe of Judah. His name is Jesus. He is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. He gave his life for him. And you can track it all the way back to this moment where Joseph was willing to give love, to give reconciliation, to show grace. Why was he willing to be able to do this? Well, very simply, it was because he never gave into offense. And the final words of the narrative is what man meant for for bad, for evil, God turned for good. And there's a danger that you can and I can live in a state of offense, can live in a state of anger and pain, and we can be locked into this place, and the only person that we are hurting, the only person that can stop the purposes and the plan of God for our life is ourselves. And our approach to this. You see, offense does produce fruit. He talks here about the filled with the fruit of righteousness. Offended people produce, yes, that's great. If we go back to that line, thank you. Offended people produce much fruit, such as hurt, anger, outrage, jealousy, resentment, strife, bitterness, Hatred and envy. Some of the consequences of picking up an offense are insults, attacks, wounding, division, separation, broken relationships, betrayal, and backsliding. But what does the scripture say here in verse 11? I pray for you that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Don't lose your call. Don't lose God's plan for your life. Don't backslide or become lukewarm because of something that has happened in your life that has so deeply offended you, know that the love and the forgiveness of Christ can release that offense and bring healing. Can I tell you honestly and truthfully, that you don't have to live with the pain of that. Because no man, no woman, no institution, nothing that you've been through has the right to rob you of God's plan for your life. The only person that can rob you of all the goodness of God is me, as in you. I think that made sense. Let me say it again. 
I'm the one that can rob myself by living in offense for God's purposes and plan for my life. Oh yeah, I have every reason to be offended at family members. I have every reason to be offended at past employers. I have every reason to be offended at friends that have left me and have forgotten me. I've got loads of I can write lists. Or, you know, nothing to do with Kelowna, because you're beautiful. You've got lists. Ask yourself the question, friends. Have you taken the bait that has trapped you and it's become a millstone around your neck? Or are you willing to live in love and knowledge and insight and discernment? Are you willing to allow Christ's healing, Christ's forgiveness, and Christ's freedom so that you can pray this prayer, the most passionate, glorious prayer in your life? And finally, we finish off with the prayer here with praise. Isn't it wonderful? The praise to the glory and praise of God. When we live with abounding love, when we live with the knowledge of God, when we have scripture at the center of our lives, when we have insight at work within us, we live a life of freedom, we live a life of joy because we are free to be full of God's joy. Lovely little picture here. This is... um, of a camel. I don't know if you recognize this. This is an actual picture of Lawrence of Arabia. I, I, I took Michelle. I've ridden camels. Uh, we went on our honeymoon to Tunisia. It was the biggest mistake ever. <laughs> don't take a blonde woman to an Arab country. I was offered 20,000 camels. I just couldn't work out what to do with them in England. And <laughs> there's, a, there's a great story about Lawrence of Arabia that he brought a group of Bedouin warriors to London and he put them all in a hotel, a very expensive hotel, and they had golden faucets. And the Bedouins were amazed at these golden faucets. I mean, you turn the tap and water would come out. But it was amazing. So when it all finished and they'd done their visits to meet the prime minister and royalty and so on, they packed up the Bedouins. And when the manager of the hotel went into the Bedouin hotel room, all the faucets had gone. They'd unscrewed them and taken them with them. And they had to stop them because they were gold. And they said, well, why were you doing that? And of course, they were hoping to take the faucets and then use them back in the tents. <laughs> uh, we're like faucets if we're not careful. Unless we are connected to the pipeline of spiritual water, we are as useless as the faucets the Bedouins had in their bags. It's about who you and the way that you are connecting. You've got to be connected. 
This prayer speaks of joy. It speaks of Christ-likeness. It speaks of love. It speaks of knowledge. It speaks of discernment. It speaks of the right way to live and to pray. Simply, do not take the bait that will get you trapped. Because you're the only one responsible for that if you take the bait. Let's pray together. Maybe even at this moment, as Paul prays about unity and partnership and love and togetherness, maybe you need to search your own heart about offence. Search your own heart and ask the Lord who you need to forgive. What family members? What employer? What good friend that you found who's forgotten you? And when you are in a place of power and position influence, how are you going to use that? Lord, I pray that you'll give us all the courage to release offense and unforgiveness so that we may fulfill the words of this prayer. So that we may live with abounding love that is informed by deep knowledge of Scripture and has discernment of God running through it, rather than living any other way, Lord, I pray. Help us this week to live differently and to let go of the offence. Because all it's going to do, Lord, is stop your glorious, abounding love in our lives. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. This is a great segue for you to consider doing Encounter God. It's a great segue for you to be willing to get some things right in your quiet time and allow Christ to work away within your heart. Let's stand together.